Let's talk JMMA with Charlie Jewett from sogo-kaku.com. This is a podcast about the deep end of Japanese combat sports scene. I'm your host, Shu Hirata from On the Road Management. Now, let's begin. Hey, good morning, Charlie. Good evening, Shu. How are you? Good. How are things in New York? Pretty good. Very, very cold. Like minus <laughs> like nine degrees or whatever that is. And anyway, good morning to everybody in Asia and then I guess good evening to everyone in America. Now, um, hey, let's dive into the first subject, which I want to talk about Shuto Show first since were you there? No. Um, corona cases are kind of on the rise in Tokyo okay. again. And so um, we thought we just, for instance, you can watch it for free on Abima. We mm-hmm. thought we'd just stay at home and watch on Abima. All right. And I didn't see the fight yet, but I wanted to ask you uh, I guess there's a big difference in Shuto from this show that we see zero one FC logo anymore, yes. uh, one championship logo. How yeah. did it look? Um, I, for one, found it very refreshing because I always thought it was kind of weird that Shuto had become like a subservient position mm-hmm. to one it was always like one road to one or there was like a one championship logo in the sure. cage the as big as the shuto logo but mm-hmm. now it's just a giant shuto logo the round girls are back wearing shuto stuff so i for one am kind of happy about the change what about like i saw on twitter that since the one logo is gone and also the the gate on the entrance so all these little fancy uh effect were gone is it true? Right. Okay. Yeah, but I mean, it didn't take that stuff added so little to me personally because okay. I mean it's a Kodaku and Hall, so the entrance isn't that big anyway. True. It's like a twenty foot walk from the door <laughs> to the cage. So yeah, right. That's true. It's not like they're yeah. in Saitama Super Arena. And um, I always thought that the charm of this is Abima has like a really high production value mm-hmm. for the events they hold, and that's where the viewing pleasure comes from not from the little tick knickknacks that one mm. championship put up put up well okay so i mean so it look it looks like it went back to the old shooter then yes basically. yeah okay i think uh cal uno ogikubo and right. the, we're doing color commentary so mm-hmm. yeah a lot of shooto stuff going on and uh, I, okay ogiko made the parents and who else was there oh hisai watanabe made a comeback Yes, yes. Yeah. So she, I think last year, she kind of made her return. I think mm-hmm. the story is that she recently got divorced. Oh, really? And okay. she has some young, she has a young child. So I think she's looking to make some money. And last year. a uh, rather famous cartoonist or something, right? Isn't he an manga anime artist? or manga? Yeah. Yeah, manga artist. Right. So he's, I guess, wealthy, I would have to say. Right. But I know that, I don't think... Um, like child support and stuff is the same as it is in the States. Oh yeah, of course. I know. In Japan. It's terrible for female. I feel so bad for women in Japan. Yeah. I mean, so... a famous actor could be paying like hundred dollars per month per child kind of stuff. And even right, though you right. default on that payment, it takes like a month and years of battle in the court to get that, you know, money. Yeah. I remember I used to live on this small island called Sarogashima, which is out okay. by Niigata oh, Prefecture. Okay, yeah. All right. And um, there was a ton of single moms on the island. Oh, really? And all of the guys would just like leave. They would just go to Honshu, never to be seen back. or heard from again. Uh, so, so they go to like a work, like a seasonal worker, and they don't come back, right? They probably yeah, they, no money comes back, nothing comes back. So yeah, and they probably don't pay for child support. None of that. No, oh, that's no, no. terrible. I'm telling you. Anyway, so yes. to go back, so he said, supposedly, yeah, so right? And she uh, um, returned in kickboxing last okay. year, but she wasn't successful. She lost her kickboxing return, mm-hmm. but she's now returned to MMA. And I always thought she was a better MMA fighter than she was a kickboxer. Okay. And um, successful return. That being said, though, I mean, her opponent opened up a na- what looked like a nasty cut inside her mouth. Mm-hmm. And he said it was bleeding out of the sides of her mouth. And like, what year is it? I mean, what happening? Uh, Hisai pulled guard and won by armbar. It was like an absolute, unexpected, kind of insane finish. Right, so she finished. Like, everybody thought that she's a striker, so she's going to try right. to finish the fight with the striking, but instead she went for the armbar and finished it. 
And yeah, and I saw the photos of it, and she, she looks like she had a, like a what is it, purple hair, and like weird hair color. Yeah, she and, like had her hair dyed black with purple streaks in it. She was wearing her trademark leopard skin uh, outfit. Okay. And but, how um, did she look as a fighter? Did she, did she look like she was like the same as before, or? She, I mean, she looks physically strong. I know she's been working at a kickboxing gym even when she wasn't training. So she's been active in personal training. And uh, but when she went up against the younger opponent, her opponent looked faster. Okay. Her opponent was able to hit her, and I think that's why she pulled guard. Ah, uh, okay. And so I'm kind of curious to see what happens when she goes up against higher level competition, because she's never been that good on the ground despite winning by armbar yesterday so i'm kind of interested to see how this goes forward now the good thing is for her at least is that shuto's atom weight division isn't like super stacked a lot mm-hmm. of the girls in there have like 50 50 records or sure. they have kind of negative is records right? yeah okay mm-hmm. mina kurobe is a champ actually right? she lost the title recently to <laughs> satomi takano takano right yeah okay so she's a champion yeah mm-hmm and uh, but Kurobe fought yesterday. She won kind of a dominant victory because mm-hmm. um, I think I think Shuto's calling like their Infinity League, yeah, where they're it's putting amazing. on all these women's forty eight slash forty nine kilo fights, and it's kind of interesting. A lot of them are quite young, and then you have a couple of veterans involved mm-hmm. in there as well. And um, they had this girl yesterday named Miku Nakamura, who for some reason Shuto uses all the time. She fought like four times last year. Maybe so. she sells tickets. Yeah, she's from Osaka. Maybe she sells tickets. And um, I liked when I watched her fight yesterday. What I liked was um, she threw a lot of standing elbows. And you don't really see that a lot in the Japanese promotions, even when elbows are allowed because the people are so used to not training them. But it was nice to see that. So, but I expect in this division, um, Chihiro Sawada is also involved from AACC. Yeah, she's a really high level wrestler. And so I'm kind of interested to see how she does. Is it also that weight class too? She is. She fought yesterday and she won against a girl making her pro debut, but it was a hard fought win. Right. So that means that Shuto is slowly stacking up a 105 women's division. They are. Yeah, slowly. Yeah. But- so they, have, they kind of have the nice balance because. I mean, is Hisai Watanabe going to? Who's? I think she's only going by Hisai now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Right, and different kind of like different kanji character, right. right? Maybe she's like symbolically about her new fight, like her new career. But um, you have fighters like her. You have Mina Kurobe, and you have on a like a little lesser degree Megumi Sugimoto. We have mm-hmm. kind of some name value, so that brings attention to it. And then you have all these younger fighters like Sawada and Nakamura who you're building up as well. So I think it's a good combination of veterans and young prospects. So that's good. That, although the one is not, I mean, the shooter is no longer supported by one, but it looks like it went back to the old Shuto and now they're, they're developing women's league, right? I yes. mean, it's like a good women's weight divisions. And on top of that, I also want to ask you, like I always talked about these two guys, which is a Patrick Usami and Nia Nakamura, which is the two fighters a so-called, a quote-unquote, graduates from the Abema TV's fight reality show called Dreamers. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, how were they? Because by looking at the articles and the reactions from everybody, both looked pretty solid, no? Yes. They looked, I, mean, I was just laughing the entire time. This is completely unrelated. But whenever I see Patrick Usami's name up there, I was just laughing because it just reminded me of Wild Usami. Well, I believe their names have the same kanji. Yeah, but, but, yeah but it's <laughs> so not, I just kept <laughs> laughing the entire time because I couldn't uh, believe it. I was like, oh, another Usami. But um, <laughs> no, they both looked good. I, and um, I was impressed because the Shuto card started out kind of weird in that mm-hmm. you had like fighters that, was, that were 0-1 that were like 42 years old fighting. Mm-hmm. But as it went on, they started highlighting the prospects more. Mm-hmm. And people like Patrick Usami and Minyu Nakamura were some of the more interesting ones later on in the card. Mm-hmm. And I think all the promotions during Chronic kind of have a problem filling out a whole card with solid fights. But I think Shuto did a good job near the end of having these interesting prospects, mm-hmm. which yeah. Shuto's I mean, credit is something they've always done. Like Shuto's always produced top level talent. 
Oh yeah, of course, because they had the solid, probably the best amateur league in Japan, right? That's where the right. other good fighters are coming from. And just to mention, but this guy Patrick Usami, he won all what five crowns as a high school boxer. So he's like yes. a very, very known high school boxing national champion. And according to from what I heard, that many many boxing gyms doesn't even want to come him to like spot with their boxer because he's too good. So he's having a little bit of difficulty finding uh, good striking uh, training. And uh, just so you know, both Patrick Usami and Ni Nakamura are fighters that belong to LDH, which is the uh, you know like a big entertainment company, and it's coached yeah, by Yushin Okami. You know? Right, and that's the entertainment company that kind of has the goal of creating world champions, right? Yeah, exactly. So here's what it is. I mean, I kept telling you this from a long while ago that Dreamers is like the only farm system of the Japanese MMA. And right. I'm telling you, they, they, they have a very good-looking talent next season, too. And now, obviously, like uh, Patrick Usami and Nia Nakamura. Who, who do, what do you think? Do you think they're ready to fight, like, maybe 5-0, and all, even 6-7-0 guy? Like, I, the top solid guy from like America or? Uh, yeah. I mean, I'd be interested in seeing it. I mean, they're both flawless to date mm -hmm. and you kind of need to gauge them a little bit better against some higher level opponents. Yeah. That's what and... I was wondering. Because then, you know, Lee and Nakamura to begin with, he is a very good, like a wrestler to begin with, you know? <laughs> right. Well, it's the thing where it's like, um, when you have guys that are that good at a particular mm -hmm. skill set, I mean, you have Nakamura with the wrestling and you have Usami with the boxing. Yep. You kind of need to test them against higher level guys just to make sure that they're learning the other aspects of MMA as well. Right. And this is my theory as a management, but if you're going to take a loss, it's better to take a loss early so you can learn from it. You know, so I mean, right. you know, so right now it's probably a good timing for both guys to try out against the high level. I mean, I wouldn't say little higher level fighters. Yeah. You know, because I would well, say their matchmaking is a little bit protected. You know, it's not like they're really right. facing the world up guys. Here. Right. And um, now in the pandemic, what do you, what do you do during the pandemic? Do you just try to give them as good a competition as you can and build them up? Or... Well, here's what it is. Actually, Charlie, I forgot, you know, I it should have mentioned this. The next subject I want to talk about is this one, because that related to the next subject, which is a Poundstorm, which is a new promotion. I, it's actually a new event. It was announced in Japan, but not that many people are writing or talking about it, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay, just so you, so the, you know, our listeners know that uh, the Poundstorm is the uh, special event taking place April 25th in Ryogoku Kokugikan, which is like 12,000 seating uh, sumo arena. Yeah. And it's, it's a cool adventure in the past. It's, it's, it's a big venue, you know, and uh, this venue is, 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 is the same venue that one championship used when they came into Japan to do their show. And right. the LDH is an entertainment company and, and, and it's co-promoted by LDH and Abema Television. So I'm hearing it's going to be a bunch of like a music performers, but also 10 MMA fights scheduled. And as you could see on their website, I'm pretty sure that Patrick Usami and Ian Nakamura will be in this show. Right. So Yeah, I'm looking at the website right now. Yeah, and this probably, by April 25th, I think they're hoping that the pandemic restriction will be a little different or more, you know, maybe even the tribal bans already will be lifted. So, and this is obviously a show that has the budget right. to fly fighters in from foreign countries. So I think they're going to match them against somebody from outside Japan because yes. this is a show. It looks like they're going to shoot for the international quality kind of stuff. So, Right. Well, I mean, now, if you're putting it in that venue, I think you have high hopes for your first Well, event. you have to, right? Because I'm telling you right now that they're a very expensive venue, actually, yes. yeah, compared to like uh, even Budokan, you know, like a famous Budokan. I heard that the Budokan is almost half the cost of Ryogoku. Ryogoku is very expensive. Plus, I mean, Ryokoku is, I imagine you have to do a bunch of work just to get a cage in there because you have oh, to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And, I, I'm, and... I'm interested to see what they do because, I mean, the Omicron cases are on the rise in Tokyo now. So I expect to get even stricter because I think it's over 4,000 people a day now. Right. Uh, yeah, exactly. But I mean, I'm hoping by April, I mean, I would like to go to Japan. I haven't been there in a yes. while. <laughs> you know right, I mean? right. And, you know, 
since you know Okami is the coach for Patrick and you know Linya, and I'm pretty sure I'll have some involvement with this show too. So I kind of like to go back and check out this show if it's possible. Right. You know, well, it's always nice to see like a new promotion's first show to see kind of how they get the ball rolling. Right. So, th- so this will be on a BMA TV. Yes, it will be on a BMA and, TV. I don't know a if it's a streaming platform. You or not, but you know, and I'm pretty sure they're going to try to bring in you know relatively big name you know if they can from outside japan and you know they got to do something fancy right for 12,000 and and this is my big question to go back to the fact that shooter is no longer supported by one championship but abema still very close with one championship obviously right right because they're in hands hands so i have a feeling one championship could send some fighters into this show right interesting but does but does one championship I mean, they shared a couple fighters with Shuto in the past, but that mm-hmm. seemed very that seemed very just to keep fighters busy. Yeah. But they weren't publicly talking about how one wasn't giving them any fights. I, I think it it's difficult. I think I, I heard that the one in championship and Shuto, I mean the sponsorship was only three year contract. So I think this is a point that they were supposed to renew it or not. So it's not like they got cut off. And right. I, you know, I can't tell you this that it's totally confirmed. But what I heard is actually Shuto has decided to not continue. Right, so, which, which kind of makes sense to me because Shuto seems to have bigger plans now, almost with Abima, with VTJ and other things. I feel like maybe they don't like the optics of the giant one logo on everything. Maybe right, and also mm-hmm. the fact that I think in today's MMA, Japanese MMA, because pandemic in a way. Rising has so many shows. I think it's difficult for Shuto to to. I wouldn't use the call the word force, but to to have this contract to make sure that all the champion has to go to one championship kind of stuff. Right. You know. Right. So, I I think I think Shuto has realized that to be able to you know. Right. To well, I mean, fighters, it's kind of difficult you know, to be under right. their umbrella. You know. Plus, I mean, during the pandemic, a company in a different country isn't the best. Regional partner. No, yeah, exactly. So, so, and I'm hoping. So, here, here's what I'm hoping. And you know, of course, I tell you this. Like, I know people at Abema and stuff. Like, so when they ask me for some opinions, I do actually. I am suggesting them to do a couple more medium-sized shows, which is like could be the Road to Pound Storm, which would be geared towards fighters from Dreamers. Mm -hmm. It could be like a you know fighters only 25 and under. Kind of stuff. Yeah. Something that's different from the other shows, you know. Right. But we'll see. Yeah. You know? <laughs> because I mean, you always forget about the power of Abima. I mean, people that Mikuru fought on Abima are like mm-hmm. mini celebrities now. Right. I During mean, his street fighter shows, Abima has a lot of reach. I, I can do this right now. I, I think I said this on podcast many, many times. That Abima TV is half owned by TV Asahi, half owned by Cyber Agent, and Cyber Agent is the second largest ad agency in Japan behind Dentsu. So, needless right. to say, anything that that's a pretty big, right? It's a giant, and you know, so that's a kind of actually a company. It needs to really back up MMA to compete right. even against the Bellators or the UFCs or the PFLs. You know what I mean? Because it's just a limited thing you can do with only like 10 guys sitting on your office and try to run your own promotion. You know? oh, yeah. You, yeah. You see like little mistakes start to climb to the cracks. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. so anyway, so I, I'm hoping that this will make a little bit of different path in terms of in Japanese MMA, because right now everybody's only going for rising pretty much. Right. Well, it also seems to be creating an avenue for like the, what's the best way to say it's like the, the YouTubers, famous, like reality's famous MMA fighter who's getting oh, yeah. famous off this LDH show, which oh, kind of creates know. a new avenue for them. I don't I want mean, to associate it with like Triller or anything like that, but it creates a new avenue, kind of like how Landmark for Mikudu. Yeah, exactly. So it's always nice to have a new option for certain fighters. I think obviously it seems like even one of our clients, like Ren Hiramoto, who only had exactly. one fight in Rising, but he's getting all the hypes and, you know, Getting all the attentions, and obviously he's suitable for shows like Landmark or like for Abima, right? It's right. basically for internet pay per view. You know, it's yeah. a totally different market that Japanese MMA really never had, right? Right, because 
the nice thing about Abima is for the most part, it's free. Yeah. And there's no commercials or anything. Mm -hmm. and so I think a lot of younger people enjoy it. Right. Because they can watch it on their phone. Right. I, mean, yeah. I was watching the one championship show last week. And I think in Japan, there was looked like about 150,000 people watching the show. Mm -hmm. And so they get pretty good numbers. Yeah, I mean, you do the math because even though they're pay-per-views, there's a different way to buy their pay-per-views. Depends yes. on your membership, right? It's between like 3,500 yen to 4,500, whatever it depends. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you didn't sell even 50, think about the money you're coming in, right? That's much, much yeah. higher than tickets you sold on Korakuen Hall. Right. <laughs> so, and as if you could see on those viewership, I'm pretty sure they're selling pretty well, right? Some of the right. shows, right? So... Well, I don't I, think they care about the ticket sales anymore because I was watching the Shuto show and the crowd looked pretty empty. Oh, really? I think, that, I think that might just be because this was the first weekend where like the Corona numbers have significantly risen. That's I think true. people might have been hesitant yeah. to go out, but I don't know if Shuto cares because I think all they really care is about the Abima connections. Because mm -hmm. I don't think they're making that much money from the ticket sales at a Kodak Win Hall. Style I mean, event. here's what it is. I always said this, but let's compare this to like Invicta Fighting Championship. It's almost the same thing. They have a venue at 2,000 people kind of venue, right? Yeah. They, they rely more. Obviously, they rely that all the oh. revenues from pay-per-views or sponsorship. I remember kind of going stuff. to an Invicta, F show, Invicta FC show where Mizuki fought, I think it was Carolina Kovalchevich. Yeah. I think it was in that was a little Iowa. Bigger, right. Was that in Iowa? I think it was in Kansas, but it was a it I was saw a her fight bigger venue than usual. I was I saw her fight in Iowa once. Huh. Maybe no, I mean, like, have you been it, places. So. No, she might she might that was that might have been is it Beck Rollings? No, no. But I remember that whenever we went, we were in a hotel and there was mm -hmm. nothing else in the town. It was like in Davenport. <laughs> right. Jen's pulver was doing commentary. And um yeah, I remember James was it's there. It's kind of funny because you go to the event because you're so used to watching it on Fight Pass, and you realize that there's like a hundred people. There's like nobody has come to watch this show. That exactly. their entire so, business model is built off of the um, stream, which is the modern only, way to do it. it That's what money is. So, but it only makes sense, though, right? I mean, so you don't have to rely on those ticket sales. You don't have to actually, yes. you know. Well, on the grand fighters, scale of things, those ticket sales are nothing compared to what you can make from streaming. Oh, yeah, exactly. That makes yeah. sense. Mm -hmm. Right. And it could be the all free tickets. Who knows? Just to, you know, yeah. back the seats, right? I mean, so, yeah, yeah, I mean, in the same way, I think it's obviously because of Abima TV, I think Japanese MMA has found a different, you know, revenue, yeah. that, you know, for. Oh, because I, I got to say, I was watching the replay of Rising 33 on Fuji mm -hmm. Television. Mm -hmm. They recorded it, and that is an awful pace at oh, which to watch MMA. Really, I mean, they really. I mean, when you're at the live venue, the round, the break between some of the rounds are longer than a minute. Uh -huh. Like, what's kind of going on over here? And then you realize it's just another commercial break because really? TV is just pumping out the commercials. So that's it's such bad. a slower pace that I can't take it. But Abima has no commercials. So I'm some. I'm spoiled. I'm spoiled by Abima. <laughs> Right, so I'm telling you, Abima is really for the younger audience, and you know, I'm telling you, when I watch that like a uh, series Succession, and they say like when the guy is trying to buy a t local TV station, the other guy says, "TV is that the one, the little box you see on the corner of the gym?" Yeah, <laughs> I think that's what it is, right? I think basically for the young guys. Well, anyway, so to go back to it, let's then talk about Rising. I think everybody in Japan still talk about Shibata and Kubo, and Rising is bad timing, right? I think it's bad timing because this happened and then there was nothing else to happen for a while. So everyone's <laughs> been focusing on this because no other rising announcements have been made. Mm -hmm. And this is just kind of floating in the air of the major controversy from the New Year's Eve event. What point is this? I mean, it seems like only the Japanese media, the only the Japanese fans are talking about this. I hear almost like nothing yeah. from outside Japan. Well, I mean, the details of it are almost funny now. I mean, <laughs> Kubo is claiming that he has Asperger's and ADHD. Yeah. So he's easily manipulated. Uh -huh. And Shibatar is saying the fight was never fixed. Yeah. That he said it was fixed to make Kubo drop his guard mm -hmm. because it was his strategy to win the fight to make Kubo think it wasn't a real fight. And then Sakakibara's comment is there's a... There's a um, clause in the contract against fight fixing 
but there's nothing in the contract about pretending to fix a fight to get an advantage over your opponent. So there's nothing we can do about it. But in the future, <laughs> we're thinking of adding a clause that says that. And well, here's it reminded me of what you said about how the contracts really aren't that important. Right. And the bottom line is that that wasn't totally fixed because they didn't decide on finish. Right? right. They didn't decide on and ending. Yeah. So it was like finished because Shimatar was never intending to do what he said he was going to do. Right. So it was he played a mind game and the yes. mind game that they made Kubo think they had some kind of a gentleman's agreement. They didn't right. basically. Right. So, right. but I think I wanted to ask you this because. You know, I get a lot of emails and calls from like sponsors and stuff like my fighters are sponsors and some people who doesn't think good thing about the rising and they're like all complaining and you know, I can't believe the Sakakiba decided to not penalize these two guys. Like they didn't ban Shibata, he didn't ban Kubo and that's a bad decision making and they send the bad messages to the public and some actually some sponsor even called me and yap and yap 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 and said like you, you should you know tell have them release Naoki and Luca and everybody because you know just because of this fixed fight issues UFC will never sign anybody from Rising anymore. I mean, has nothing to do with that, but you know, like they get very over dramatic about well, this. My whole thing about it was, I think that's I, I think the Rising doesn't want to open this can of worms. Mm -hmm. I don't think they want to have the discussion about fight fixing. Right. I mean, is there any, I mean, do you think they have to clarify and penalize Shibata no. to Kubo? Well, I think some people want that. Like mainly, I've noticed mainly foreign fans want that. Mm -hmm. But in my impression, Japan has always been a lot less legal centric than the U.S. Yeah. And I thought that they, this probably got resolved behind closed doors. <laughs> of and Shibatar already announced that he's not fighting again. Now we'll see if that actually happens. I Dude, mean, you do not believe anything what Shibatar said. Everything right. is act for him. And after this video, I mean, after, after this announcement, I saw that Shibata was dancing around, all relieved that he's not getting sued, right? Right. And announced well, I mean, Yeah, I mean. Hey, I think Shibatar has a good point in that you have no grounds to sue me. The fight wasn't actually fixed. Mm hmm. And I don't think Rising wants to like open this up because that's just going to bring up like what the old Takata Coleman stuff mm. and some of the stuff from the past. I don't think they want any of that being brought back up. And I think they just want this to go away. And I think that's what's going to happen. Right. And do you think Rising ever going to use Shibata again? I mean, if the situation's right, yeah, they'll use him again. You know what? This, I mean, is, this is my big prediction because I don't know anything about it as I'm saying this because usually I can't say something I don't know. I don't know anything about this, but this is my prediction. Do you remember where Rising did the little skit using uh, Jake Paul impersonator? Yes. Right. So, and you remember he, Sakakiba was in Florida? I mean, right. a lot of people suspect that maybe he went to see one of Paul's or both, whatever. Right. And I don't know Paul Brothers uh, famous enough in Japan, but I think if you're an entertainment promoter, you will always leave that door open for the possibility, just a slight possibility, that maybe Shibata versus some, one of those Paul Brothers. Well, especially <laughs> now that one of them is training in the MMA, it looks like, right? You're right. So it might make sense, right, if Paul Brothers became big enough in Japan. Right. So in every aspect, so in that sense, I guess it doesn't make sense to totally cut off Shibata just to see what he's going to generate for next, I mean, this year. No, I wouldn't cut him off just because, I mean, if they did Shibata versus Kubo again, I think it would generate a lot of interest. I yeah. think they're, they can, I think that the way that they're able to make stories work with like through rides and confessions right. and how they promote, they could make Shibata or Kubo successful if they fought again. Exactly. And in the bottom line is like I think almost it's I think Sakakiba confirmed that he will use them again, right? Right. This game well, I mean, is not to be like a not to be like a hundred percent believer of the phrase all press is good press, mm -hmm. but the controversy did bring a lot of attention. Yeah, it did. I mean right. videos talking about it were generating over a million views. Right. And it seemed like a lot of the YouTubers who are friends of Shibatar were just like, oh, Shivatar, you're so stupid and funny. And so it seems like it was almost like a gag the whole time. Right. So. And the general public is actually, when they talk about New Year's Eve fight, most of them talk about Shivatar and Kubo now. 
Right. No one's like they all forgot about the Bantamweight Grand Prix or like everything. You know? I do think an important factor of it is that it always felt like a pro wrestling match. Yeah, of course. And that it was kind of a ridiculous match from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would think we'd be having a very different discussion if Kai versus Okikubo was a fixed fight than <laughs> if Shibatar versus Kubo was, yeah. Right, because everybody sort of expected that if, even though if it's not a fix, there has to be some kind of a gentleman's agreement or mutual agreement. Yeah, right? because when when um, Shibatar's running around like an idiot, a skilled fighter can just knock him out during that. Right, so right. There has to be some type of agreement to let him do that kind of stuff. Right. And I, I think from my point of view, I think Japanese public, some very harsh, you know, critics are being too harsh and calling them, okay. labeling them that was a fixed fight and blah, blah, blah. Because to me, that's almost like a sort of like a, a unwritten rules in Major League Baseball. It's almost the same. Right. Yeah. So, well, I mean, it just, I feel like hardcore Japanese fight fans are super strict. Very super quick to jump on people, right? And it's not MMA fans, but I always, I mean, the, the classic example would be the pro wrestler that killed herself due to online bullying. Mm-hmm. I just feel like some of these guys have no lives and they just spend all of their time online criticizing, oh, criticizing, no. criticizing. Mm-hmm. And, um, the, the, and the recent example of it that we can segue into is Panchan Rina. Has been receiving a lot of hate online recently. Oh, yeah, because, because she was asking to do a kickboxing rules fight against somebody instead of MMA rules. Right. right. She said she wants to fight Cebu Park, who she's fought before in kickboxing. That's true. Right? So she yeah. was like, I want to, she was like, Cebu Park, let's do a kickboxing match in Rising. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Cebu Park had an issue. Her response was just, I'm not really concentrating on kickboxing right now. I'm an MMA fighter. Right. If you want to have an MMA fight, we can fight under MMA rules. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, I think Panchan released a video where she said, I, at one point, I thought about fighting in MMA, but my goal right now is to just concentrate on kickboxing and to bring kickboxing to a global stage, which, I mean, all fine comments to make, but these fans went absolutely nuts. Like, how dare you not want to fight in MMA? Why are you in an MMA promotion if you're not going to fight in MMA? And um, they're all like, she used to be like an idol. Mm-hmm. like a model and they're all digging up these like videos of her and stuff and posting it all over line and making fun of her and <sighs> my whole thing is just like she's never said that she was an mma fighter she's always maintained she's a kickboxer right and you guys are freaking out over absolutely nothing i mean you can dislike her that's fine but you don't have to like berate her publicly online nonstop. you know i think it's japanese are very in general, they're very critical, harsh on one mistake. Because I think right. the big difference between American corporation and Japanese corporation in, in Japan, if you make one mistake, you get demoted. And you only need like right. 10 good stuff to make that up. In America, right. it's the other way around. You can make like 10 little mistakes. Who cares? If you do one thing, you're going to talk about that forever, right? Yeah. So, no, I'm telling you, there's too much pressure for everything well, in Japan. Well, it's kind of weird too, because I don't even see it. I don't think she made a mistake. I think not at all. People just, I think people just want to see her in an MMA fight because she's in Rising, and I think she's wisely. I think it's a smart move is not doing it because she has no grappling experience at all. I mean, right. she's barely gotten into kickboxing. And Rising so, have tried a women's kickboxing, obviously. So it's not like she's asking to create a brand new division or, or right. right. So I mean, come on, right? It's I, yeah. I feel bad for her, you yeah. know. You so, bashed on those Twitters. And no, I mean, they are because she did all those like stupid idol videos where it's like <laughs> in this video, I'm going to be making noises like a cat or in this video, I'm going to be eating a popsicle or something like that. And they're just like pulling all that stuff up. That's too bad. That's too bad. I hope people stop there, find something better to do, you know? And now yeah. let's talk about this one real quick because no fights confirmed to rising landmark and trigger show. Are so you- my wife, yeah. My wife and her friends were last night. They like that the New Year's Eve hangover is finally over. The bliss from New Year's Eve, mm-hmm. and they all realized they were like, "Wait a minute! Not a single like no fights have been announced for the show that is happening in like less than a month. What well, is going is, on?" All we know is the clever Koike is fighting in Shizuoka. Yes, 
And right. I can see right now, Len Hiramoto is fighting Landmark, but Landmark dates are not announced yet. And, and Shizuoka dates are announced, uh, but no cars announced yet. Right. Now, I can tell you right now, in terms of Shizuoka, I, you know, a couple of our clients are getting offered to fight. So I think the fight cars are ready to be announced. Right. So Landmark, I don't know. <laughs> my brief comment is Landmark doesn't need it because Landmark is primarily a pay-per-view. Exactly. And they do probably like four or five fights, right? At most. Even yeah. Right. So Landmark's not as important. Trigger is a different story where Trigger yeah. is like going to have, I mean, I don't know what the COVID restrictions are going to be, but I think they want to have a live audience at Trigger. So oh, yeah. I, I think they, they use the, the same venue in Shizuoka. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's too bad they're not, but I wonder who Kuleba is going to fight, you know? Right, because it's still so close to New Year's Eve. I personally think, right, this is like, I think if, if some Japanese who understands English are listening to this, it might make a noise about it, but I personally think Kuleba should fight Dark Rick Shirakawa at this point, because he's exactly. won three in a row, and not much other featherweights are available, it seems like, right? I mean... Right, because I mean, I've, a lot of these rising stars have to be exhausted still from the right. end of two, 2021. Exactly. I would give them all a break. The guys like Kanehara only fought once, and Majima already yeah. fought Kleber, and uh, Horiez, I think he has injury, right? So right. I, mean, I think Kanehara is also an interesting fight. Right, interesting fight, but I think it would make sense for him to get maybe one or two more wins to. To fight the clever, so the guy right now actually on a three-fight winning streak would be Shirakawa. Yes. Or or two-fight winning streak, but Hagiwara, right? Well, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't think you put Hagiwara in there yet. No, if I'm a matchmaker, I would never put Hagiwara against Clever. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't make sense at all in terms of no. fight style. I mean, it makes zero sense, right? Like, so, to have everyone watch Hagiwara get murdered would not right. be fun. But for some reason, my client, one of my clients, Ren Hiramoto, is going beef with Shirakawa. I mean, Shirakawa on social network now, right? But like, who, who, who does he not start beef with? I mean, <laughs> exactly. I saw, him, I saw a sign with, I saw him with a bunch of people holding a sign like "F Mikuru" in the background. So, oh, you know, was it Mikuru or was it? I don't know. You know, I, I'll be honest with you here that I mean, I do check my clients' social network and stuff like that, but. I, I guess I haven't checked every single one of Ren's tweet or somebody who wrote back to Ren, whatever, but I missed that photo. So it might have been Mikuru. It might have been um, Hagiwara. I can't remember. I just remember somebody holding an F. It must have been Mikuru because Hagiwara is way too long of a name to write <laughs> on a poster board. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I guess there's different world. I mean, I think it's a little different from like so called old traditional hardcore fans, right? Like, the, I mean, right. anyway, so it's a different crowd there. So I think, I personally think Shirakawa should fight Clever, but for some reason, many fans believe that Ren should fight Shirakawa. And they're like, even like I pointed out on Twitter early this morning that, no, we never discussed about Shirakawa with Rising, not even once, you know? Right. Not even the word Shira, or not even the word Kawa. And psh, the next thing I know, I get like 500, you know, like <laughs> likes and everything else. So, yeah, I mean, this just... Why do you think it's causing them to have such a delay in announcing the card? I honestly don't know the real reason. I can predict few, but there, th those few predictions are something I can't really talk here. You know, I mean, without getting too deep into it, I just my general gut reaction is that all of their stars are kind of burnt out, and they're having to scrap together a card filled mm -hmm. with. Maybe one good fight, one or two good fights, and then just a, a bunch of like prospects or veteran fights. Right. And I think maybe because of the Shibata and Kubo deal, they maybe they're looking to maybe push landmark a little bit, you know, behind yes. trigger instead of before trigger. The trigger is already announced, so they have right. to go forward with it, right? So I think they're still adjusting. Right. And personally, if they push landmark after trigger, I like that better because I still like to try to bring Duke Rufus and uh, Sergio yeah. Perez to corner Ren. But right now with the quarantine, it's almost impossible, right? So right. So, where do you think any guesses on what landmark they want to have it at? Oh, well, last time was Tokyo Tower. 
Yeah, well, here, here's what it is. I can talk about this right now. Um, they had the little discussion about doing, a, it was way before Landmark. It was just the idea. It was never offered or anything like, like that. But if they were to do Mikuru against Ren, that kind of fight, they were mm -hmm. discussing the idea of doing the pay-per-view show and selling only maybe 100 tickets for exclusive 100 members for like $10,000 each and do this at the foot of Mount Fuji. Because in Japan, awesome. there's an interesting, a big uh, music festival called Fuji Rock. Right. Well, why not do a, a Fuji Island show? Because in the pro wrestling world, they had the Ganryujima, Ganryu Island fight, right? Yes. Between Antonio Inoki and Mr. Saito and stuff like that. So in the same way, I, they, they discussed, and they also discussed about doing this on the foot of a Tokyo Tower too, which is the first landmark and that being somewhere near the Tokyo Tower, right? So right now that we know that by landmark they mean we're going, you're not going to see the, we'll be relatively close to a landmark, yeah. and we'll show it in the opening DTR. It right. could be anywhere, but it could be any. It could be like I, I don't know. I forgot. I think Genki Sudo or somebody has held not an MMA fight, but some some fight event, grappling event or something, and in relatively same and famous big temple. And it looks that's what I would, yeah, you know that's what I'm interested in because that brings out like my inner child Mortal Kombat slash Street Fighter background. Exactly. Perhaps maybe temple with a big statue in the background or whatever. Yeah, you know? Exactly. So, yeah. So no, I'm really hoping Landmark to do something like that, you know? Right. Yeah. So Rick. let's hope and we'll see. I, I really don't know anything about Landmark, you know? So we'll see, right. you know? Now, before we go more, I want to talk about Deep Jewels because, you know, it seems like Deep gets all the fighters from uh, Rising. Anyone well, who wins in Rising gets the shot in Deep, you know? It's smart because it makes the relationship so beneficial to both companies. Mm -hmm. Because now, I mean, this show has Saudi Oshima on it and Nisei and mm -hmm. Siwoo Park, who have all won in Rising. Right. All so fighting on a Deep Jewels card now, which has got to help Deep Jewels sell tickets and get attention. Oh, I mean, here's what it is I know for the fact that Deep Jewels almost never had a problem selling tickets. Right. I, yeah. I mean, not, not just because. Because they, it's not like they do in a big venue, but also at the same time they really have a real solid fan base. Mm -hmm. So if the venue is like six hundred people, like a Shinjuku face, they pretty sell out pretty quick. Well, this venue is also a smaller venue, but I love this venue. It's at a it's New Pier Hall. It's right, I haven't been there yet, but how, what how big how big is it? What's the capacity there? Like, I want to say my guess five mm -hmm. six hundred people. Okay, yeah, all right. But it's inside of a hotel that's used for wedding venues. Nice. So it's a super nice hotel. Like I'm talking like giant bathrooms, like red carpet everywhere. Really? It's like the opposite of like the grungy kind of Kodakuen Hall or Shinjuku. So that's, that's actually good for Deep Jewels. It's a female fight like in Japanese yeah. marketing by wedding, you know, like kind of stuff. Yeah. Ah. So I, I like that venue a lot. And this card to me is just absolutely stacked. And it's not even finished yet. I think... It's also supposed to have the opening round of their flyweight Grand Prix. Yeah. And right. what does that mean? That to me means either Shizuka Sugiyama, Kate Lotus, um, any of those super popular fighters, Yukari Nabe, any of those popular fighters in that division are also going to be even our favorite Miss Lin Nakai. Because I hope reading about jewels, deep jewels. <laughs> I will tell you that I'm writing an article, kind of like a wrap up on women's MMA in Japan in 2021. Uh -huh. And one of the top trending Google searches for was Ren Nakai. I and bet. the context of it was like essentially wins her next fight. <laughs> <laughs> it was the number one search for Ren Nakai. I, I, I hope, I really hope she fights for Deep Jewels. Then. Because when you really think about it, look at this card. It's almost really well done, stacked. If you have a, like a flyweight tournament with Lin Nakai in there, it's almost competitive to like Invicta fighting level, right? Almost. Yeah. And yeah. So oh, I, I think, I think I may be biased, but I think it's at that level. I think it is at the Invicta level, at this card at least. At least. And, yeah, um, right. And um, other thing worth noting is Adam weight division, all the girls fighting Adam weight now are fighting 49 kilo at Deep mm -hmm. Jewels. Mm -hmm. And Miki Matono has dropped from straw weight to sure. 49 kilo. Right. The last event, Sayaki said, There's no straw weights in Japan. You're going to have to drop. 
and it looks like it's happening. And I oh, think yeah, Saudi Yashima, uh, Mickey Matano, these are all just they're all studs. It's gonna be yeah, great. Let me ask you this: There's an article out on ESPN said that the UFC might add atom weight by end of this year. I mean, if this happens, I think, and if Izawa probably will do a rematch against Hamasaki in around June, and if she wins again, I mean, she's got to be the one of the hottest commodity out there, right? Oh yeah. yeah. Well, I was kind of laughing because I was looking at the Google trends, and her name had was a zero zero zero. The New Year's Eve flip. <laughs> Google oh, searches yeah. for her name is launched in December. So I think she's a hot commodity, but I mean, she's not, Japan has a ton of super good atom weights, but my initial reaction to that though, is that there's been rumors of the UFC having the atom weight division for years now. Mm -hmm. And I'll believe it when I see it kind of thing, mm -hmm. because I think they want Miss stars like Michelle. I think they want Michelle Watterson to be a star. Oh, I bet. I mean, be a better Adam Wade, Watterson, or Angela Lee, or even or even Jessica Penne. They have a ton right. of Adam Wade's already. Loma, look by me. Exactly, and also even girl like Kala might be able to drop. Who knows, right? Not yeah. that big, and yeah, exactly. He only makes. I starting to kind of make sense. I'm hoping that's going to happen because that's going to open the door to a lot of Japanese fighters as well. Well, that's, that's that's my thought process has always been: is if Japan is serious about Asia, I mean, if the uh, UFC serious about making it in Asia. I mean, all the Asian promotions, all the women now are atom weights. There's they're not big enough, there's not enough big enough people to do 125, 135, 115. Mm -hmm. So if you really want to do well, atom weights kind of the division to lead I'm telling right now though, but like for example, like a Tyra signed with Iridium and now he's training in the extreme couture for just a month, coming back hoping to maybe sign with the UFC and which a lot of other people and I think right now it's so hard to get signed with UFC. I mean, we have, like, for example, I, we have a lot of Brazilians with, like, 10 and all, you know, 15 well, it's and the, it's know? the problem if you're a Brazilian. There's so many Brazilian fighters that unless you have some, like, unique brand. Exactly. So, I, I mean, I'm not saying that UFC matchmakers never told me this, but some other matchmakers on the other promotion have told me that it's dime a dozen, you know, yeah. when it comes to Brazilian. So. It's like it's kind of like what Russians are now. Oh, you got a good Russian wrestler. Okay, True. is Khabib going to be in his corner promoting his fight? Because if he isn't, yeah. we're not interested. Right, and uh, the the point is that in terms of Japanese fighters, if you're good and if you're winning in Rising, if you're a champion there, of course you have a championship clause. It's not like it's so easy to get out. And and obviously by that point you'll be making way better money than twelve, twelve, or fourteen, fourteen to start. You know what I mean? So it, it's. Well, it's kind of difficult, you know. I think think back to not the UFC, but with the atomweight division in Japan. I think the pandemic has kind of forced it to grow. Yes, you know what? I think Rising's old strategy of bringing in foreign fighters wasn't good for the division. Mm -hmm. It allowed them to build stars, but it didn't because they were just kept using the same three women over and over again. And now, since they've been forced to kind of use internal fighters. It's helped this new generation step up to the plate. Right. Oh, and, same thing for the men's too, right? Just the way they right. did the 16-man bantamweight tournament. And I think the fans are predicting maybe featherweight or the flyweight tournament this year, right? right. So that's going to create another stars, you know? So it's, it's almost been like an adrenaline shot to the heart of like the Japanese MMA scene. Mm -hmm. Because now all these fighters are like, fighting and rising isn't a crazy idea anymore. This is a realistic option. Right. If I put a couple wins together, I could get the call up this year. I mean, right. Saudi Oshima, what made her and Sekizawa both made their debuts in 2020. Mm -hmm. And a year later, it was like, oh, we're fighting in Rice. <laughs> so, I mean, now's the time. Yeah, now is the time. That's why. And I think that's the reason why we are not really seeing two, like only seeing three Japanese fighters in UFC, you know? Right. Yeah. And I'm telling you right now, it's, it's super hard because the UFC has the contenders and the ultimate fighters and looking for a fight. And there's three other ways to get in there. Right, right, and and I'm telling you, we have a couple of really good-looking Brazilians who's like 20, 21, you know, is yeah. undefeated in 10, 15 fights, ready to go, but it just can't get it, <laughs> you know. So some are actually even spending money or using sponsorship money to to do all one visa, which costs like six thousand dollars, and move to Vegas wow. or somewhere and sit and wait, you know, train and wait, kind of stuff. Still not getting calls. You know, yeah, it, interesting. It is. What would you recommend? Is it almost better to go to another promotion 
in North America and just dominate and try to get your name in the North American press or? Oh, Jesus, it's really hard because, yeah. you know, I'm telling you right now, like, I think that it depends on the way you look at it. I, I tell you this right now, like, for example, Pancras champion, Isao. Obvious, he's probably got an offer from Rising. And obvious, right. he's not taking it. And I heard that he got the offer from the other promotions on the, besides the uh, UFC, I heard he's saying no to every single one of them. So he's only thinking about probably UFC, but he's 33, you know? Sure, yeah. he's on like five fight win streak, whatever that is, but what are the chances of him getting in there, right? Yeah, because I've always, you always hear rumors about the UFC matchmakers. If you get, if you get to a certain age level, unless you're an exceptional case, they're just not interested. Because why are they going to put money in promoting you if you're kind of going to age out soon? Unless if they, let's say, for they're doing like a show in Macau where the Japanese doesn't right. require visa and somebody gets injured in the last minute, same theory applies to whatever the place. I, I think Dutch also doesn't need Japanese visa, you know? Yeah. Or Japanese shows or whatever. Right. So we don't have any of that right now, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's so, it's really funny. So like, to go back to like some Japanese fighters, I, I can't name names. Like, for example, I know some fighters like young, if they put up maybe two, three wins, good solid wins, they might, they might get picked by UFC. I mean, not by UFC, but now they're good enough to get picked by Rising. Now, they fight for smaller promotion. It's hard to fight somebody who is good. That, you know, if you win, you have to win against a good guy, right? To, to, right. to sell yourself to UFC. So, you know what some of the fighter decides to do? They, they want to follow the path of Michinori Tanaka. Mr. What Tanaka did was he said no to the, all the good offers in Japan, but he wanted to fight for LFA because he just believed winning in LFA is the way to get to the UFC, only thinking UFC, almost like a UFC addict. But to be able to fight in LFA, so what Mr. Tanaka did was he paid for his own visa, which was 6,000 bucks. He had to pay for his own flight to get there, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Train at the team and go with the LFA fight, and he fought for 1,750 to show, 1,750 to win. So you do the math, right? Yeah. So, but there are other fighters in the same shoes who is like late 20s who probably may have a chance to go to maybe Bellator or PFL or in somewhere else, but right. he's just only thinking UFC. And I suggest him to then why don't you fight in the Rising for one or two fights, right? Go there. No, 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 Rising. What about LFA? <laughs> it's interesting because I don't know the exact numbers, but I've always thought that the clearest road to the UFC through Japan was through Pancrase. They seem to have mm -hmm. some magic where their fighters just tend to end up in the UFC. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think, and also some of the fighters from deep went there, so is Shuto, right? But not too often uh, these days. But I just don't like the sitting out strategy. I would rather you go to Rising, win a couple fights, get the attention of maybe not the UFC, maybe go to Bellator, like you said, maybe go to the PFL. The UFC can't be the only option. Uh, that's what I keep telling to many fighters. I believe me, but there are more than a few coaches end up telling me and say, like, shoot, forget it. My boy is UFC addict. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, so, even if you think the UFC has the best fighters in the world, go to the PFL. If you win, you get a million dollars. I mean, that's got to be attractive to some people. I, you know what, Charlie? I have told that to few of the guys who actually got an official offer from PFL. And Tommy, they're just saying, oh. Interesting. It's and, interesting and that the UFC's brand is so strong with some of the generation because, you, in my opinion, the UFC has like done so little in the in Japanese Japan, market. Right. I mean, Whereas, Bellator did way more, right? And Bellator has done more, and it's worked. I think a lot of the younger generations like, hey, got UFC or Bellator, either one. Actually, younger generation might even prefer Bellator because of Rising. Right. And the fact that they might be to go back and forth between Rising and Bellator and fight. I think that's a very attractive thing that's not talked about is the it, ability that Bellator is like, you can fight in Japan and for Bellator. It actually is a very attractive thing for the Japanese fighters because many of the Japanese clients are telling me that they prefer fighting in front of their supporters. Right. So they can show. It's not like there's fans and supporters can all fly to America to watch UFC, right? So, well, 
it's got to make it easier for them to get other sponsors too, because I mean, does your sponsor care if you're like a local place in Japan? Does it care that it's being broadcast in the U.S.? Like that's not going to have any return on investment if that's what you're worried. If you're using it for advertising, exactly. It's, it's really funny because I I deal with a set of sponsors who is in love with UFC, who supports right. our UFC clients. But there's a set of rising lover the sponsors, mm -hmm. and and they tend to contradict each other. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know and. Well, would that rising lover happen to be rising Daisuke? Or <laughs> no, I have nothing to do with that. <laughs> but I heard he's back in scene, right? But anyway, his name's creeped back up. There's no way he can stay out. Yeah, I know. Maybe he's again. He's addicted, right? So yeah. But anyway, yeah. So exactly, right? I mean, so like, uh, like, so UFC sponsor guys tells me like, shoot, you should be able to get a better sponsors if your fighters are in the UFC meaning the better Japanese sponsors, but that's right. not necessarily true because, you know, sponsors think about the exposures in the Japanese market. Right. Like yeah. if you're sponsoring a fighter that's fighting in a different country, unless you're a global brand mm -hmm. and unless you just, you're only doing this like to support the fighter, there's right. very little return on investment. Exactly. Exactly. There are a lot of sponsors in Japan. The president or owner happened to be a big, well, he has a huge love for your MMA. So it's not about the return on investment. You right. know, it's, yeah, you just I just support you kind of stuff. So for them, yeah, UFC is the place because they can, you know, brag about, hey, I'm sponsoring right. the guy who is in the best league in the world and blah, blah, blah. But for the guys who is paying for the return on investment for a big sponsorship like guys for Mikuru or, or guys on, you know, like in Naoki on national television, that's a different concept. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, because, I mean, I always laugh, like, you go to some of these regional shows, like, who are these guys? People sponsoring people on regional shows just must not care about advertising. No. They must just like the fighter, and it's like, here's 100 bucks. Good luck with your training camp. On the top Once of you the get on TV, you know, because some some of the sponsorship logo, it's like white background, so it depends on the lights. It's almost like you can't see it. Cause, right, you know? exactly. Right, so it's, they don't really, I don't think it's about that, I think, you know? Or you're one of those, I mean, Kickboxers in Japan are like NASCARs. There's absolutely plastered in sponsors. Right. Like when Koji comes out, he wears that jacket. There's this like double sided sponsors all <laughs> the way down. There's no way anybody can actually read what one of those says. So, sure. But yeah. here's what it is the kickboxing in Japan, as I think we talked about this, that's it, I think they traditionally this I wouldn't say swallow, but they just understand the fact that just the fight person is not that high. So but, they have a they have been a long established way to score those little sponsors. You know, so they make way more money from sponsors and also ticket sales. Right. They got to hustle. They got to go out there to the mom and pop shops, get the right. Right. 200 bucks from the Yakiniku place, go to the ramen shop, get a hundred bucks. Oh, I know. So I, oh my God. I know. Right. So anyway, so um, there's, a, there's actually a ramen shop near my house that sponsors like a ton of athletes. I think really? they might, they, well, they're involved. They like, they have some relationship with Sonic Squad. Mm -hmm. I think Naoki actually eats ramen there, but, um, they sponsor, uh, actually, like, yeah, the sponsor actually owns the chain of ramen shop. So in the brand. They own, they on their wall, they sponsor like three or four boxers, a couple oh, of golfers. Right. So and you they, see they're like a signed autograph of used exactly. to happen. Well, yeah, we include that on a part of the uh, sponsor package here. You know, I, you try to make that attractive to try to, you know, price it. Nice and well, stuff. So. The, the mom and pop restaurants like that. You put a little sign up on the wall. People are like, oh, who's that? He always asks about Naoki, like when he's fighting and stuff when we go in. So, yeah. yeah, exactly. So, I think it does have a pretty good effect, right? On the grab new customers. And also, yeah. I mean, they feel good about it, you know? Right. Yeah. And, exactly. and, you know, we actually even include some of the high paying sponsors who are really dying to get a backstage pass. Actually, they, they, they like that. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, we provide them an experience. The next yeah, thing you know, right. I get a phone, you know, like photos of the, like him, like posing with all the fighters on the backstage, you know. Yeah, yeah, dude, man. They used to do that. I think Rising used to do like a backstage tour. Right. Back yeah. when they were like trying to scrape some bucks from random places. The World Championship used to do that too. They, they even had to tour people who coming into the like a dressing room, like before the fight and stuff like that. And uh, <laughs> but, they're, they're, 
But no public weigh-ins, shoe. No public weigh-ins. You can watch the fighters get naked and change, but that's true. You can't you watch them there are some fans with the camera who wanted to take a photo with Okami when he was like hitting pads, like getting ready to go fight in like 10 minutes kind of stuff. So that was a little bit, right? I mean, that might be the most one championship thing I've ever heard because <laughs> I just know, remember they, what were those emails they sent out where it's like, are you an amateur photographer? Do you have yeah, a camera? That, we'll right. give you a free ticket if you come take pictures of fighters and <laughs> Here's what it is though. I, it doesn't really bother me so much because it does create the walk of those photographers, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah and, and well, I mean, everybody benefits from it, but um, right. So, but actually, when I went to Myanmar with Ken Hasegawa when he fought Olang, yeah, and there's just so many like photographers, and some of them I can tell they're not, you know, real oh, yeah. professional photographers, but they're fans or whatever. They want to take a photo, which is fine, but. Where they stormed into us was just not really professional. It was a little scary because, so like, no, I think that's what one championship wants. I think they want to be able to take video know, of exactly. being like, our fighters are like the Beatles. Look at the photographers storming them as they get off the bus. Yeah, I get that. Right. Yeah. You know, but it, it was just a little, yeah. little too much, yeah. I thought, you know, you know, one championship. It was just amazing because he was a national hero there, you know, what's that? Before the recent military coup, hopefully. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. I feel so I mean, yeah. But um, speaking of King, I've been genuinely surprised at King Kazu's son Miyota. Mm. He has like the rising fan base is just so behind that guy now. Rising confessions turned that guy into a superstar. I mean, actually, I mean, he looks pretty good. I mean, it looks like he he has been training. I mean, obviously, and I think he is perfect for a trigger show. Like, put him in the co-main. Because I, I don't want I don't want to don't do the sacrificial lamb route like don't have him fight Vandalay Silva next no, have him right, fight yeah. someone his level right no no I think I think they're gonna raise Miura slowly and nicely for Rising it only makes sense it's a real hot commodity you know and um, how do you feel about did you see like the poster for the Ishuatari retirement event I love that I love the poster that poster is I need to find that. it somewhere. Right, <laughs> yeah. Japanese uh, ballad singers recital, right? Yeah, yeah, it looks awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. I love it. It's only in Japanese MMA, I think. You know, I feel like Deep's been up in their production value recently. They're kind of like trying to mirror what Rising does, and I mean, that poster and everything looks so different. Right now, I hate to say this, but among Deep Pankers Shuto, Deep is just getting the. It's just not like a Bob. It's just getting better than the other. I love Pancrase, but I think Pancrase took the wrong strategy during the pandemic. I think mm. they were kind of like, we're going to try to wait this out. And I think that ended up not being the smart move because it's such a long pandemic. It's just impossible right, to dude. wait out. And I wonder why. Is that because of the deep relationship? But I don't see too many Pancrase pushing Rising at all, right? I mean, and after yeah. all, that's that stage that all the general public watches. So the only you only make of that is there. Saki is such a businessman over mm-hmm. at um pancreas Sa- sakai yeah. i'm sorry sakai is such a businessman and like his he used to make money by just buying wrestling organizations fixing them up and selling them right mm-hmm. well, I mean, he, yeah you gotta think like he probably doesn't like losing money do you think he's ever thinking oh, no, of selling no. pancreas one day well he i think he has tried but it didn't work and now i i can't talk about it but i think there'll be new announcement pretty soon you know i think he's restructuring i think that Okay. Organization, I would say. So, yeah, well, Daniels keep asking what's the situation about the pancreas announcement. I can't talk about it, but I'm pretty sure they will pretty soon, you know? Well, it just seems because when you go to pancreas, they have like such a high production value. And it's such a shame that they don't have like a foreign streaming service at the moment. And I know that they're looking for that. You probably can't say anything, but I know that they're looking for that. that uh, that's true. Yeah. They don't have UFC Fight Pass anymore, you know? So I'd like to see something because it's like a waste because they use such a nice camera. They always put their events in cool venues and they deliver. I mean, I think team date needs to be more visible to the world. So <laughs> I'd just like to see Pancreas have like a foreign streaming option. I mean, I know I probably bring this up all the time, but I was talking to Stuart Fulton, the guy that's the, mm-hmm. who was the English commentator for Pancreas, And he was mm-hmm. talking about how he's surprised more organizations don't really copy stardom's business model. Mm. where stardom essentially has their own version of fight pass 
Yeah. And people just watch their pay a monthly subscription to watch all their matches and it generates a ton of income for stardom with them having to do very little work. I mean, I think in the beginning they just found a fan who was passionate who did most of it for free and now right. that they're making money they just pay for it themselves so maybe that's almost same as doing uh your own pay-per-view on youtube channel too then almost yeah yeah i mean i think isn't that what deep jewels are right now on youtube Instead no, of deep jewels has a pay-per-view but then <laughs> deep jewels does a domestic pay-per-view i think you can buy it abroad but mm. i think it costs like it's the stupid japanese thing where if you like order it a couple days in advance it's cheaper Mm -hmm. So I think it costs like 20 or 30 bucks to buy okay. a Deep Jewels pay-per-view. But then I think usually like three or four days later, they upload all the fights on YouTube. You do, right. So you just wait two, three, four days. You, it's just like a rising almost, right? Yeah. So yeah. I, I mean, guess it's a, it's a smart business model because if you're going to buy the, if you want to watch it live, you're going to pay for the pay-per-view. Mm -hmm. But if you're not going to pay the pay-per-view, you're never, if, you're not, if you don't pay for the pay-per-view the day of the event, you're never going to buy it. Right. And so right. it just makes sense to release all the fights Four days later. It's like a rising. It's they have their own like a streaming base. They use right. that basically, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's same way. Maybe Panker should do that too. Then I mean, right? But they're back on Abema TV though, right? I mean, they were. In terms, I think of, so. Yes. Yeah. For premium member, you can watch it for free, and if it's not pay per view kind of stuff, I think. Yeah. But I just think that at this point, if you don't have a international stream. You're kind of just throwing money away. I agree. I mean, because there's more opportunities out there. Who knows, right? They might be able to score a new sponsor through it. Who knows, right? And so yeah, exactly. Plus the exposure. I mean, I remember 10 years ago, it was impossible to find a deep or deep jewels match on TV. I know they did like a brief thing with like Ustream, and then they had like those tape delays with fight right. TV in Canada. But um now that they're on YouTube, I mean, some of those fights are getting like over a hundred thousand views now. So, I mean, they're getting more attention. I think they're starting to re come around to the benefit of putting stuff up for free. Right. Exactly. So, I mean, so Pancras should do, may do the same then, basically, you know? Because, yeah. Well, my thing is if they're not streaming it for money, they should at least be putting it on YouTube for free. Well, at least, to right? Get, because, to get interest built up in the sport. Right. I mean, I think many, I mean, maybe the Pancras might think it's only a Japanese fighters now, so just concentrate on domestic. Once they start putting a foreign fighters in, they, maybe they step outside. But why wait, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah, because they, they have a budget. I don't know how much, I mean, get one of those English commentators back. They can't be super expensive yeah. and just do the shows on YouTube. I think. You, that's what that's how uh, Invicta FC got started before they advanced to more and more advanced. They can do YouTube models. and Facebook Live and all the different platforms, yeah. right? So, I mean, that seems like what they're, they're a lot of promotions are doing right now, anyway. Right. So at least to but, get, uh, that yeah. being said, I am interested to see what Pancrase's announcement is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you, Daniel. Yeah, I, I, I think, actually have no idea what they're going to announce. Yeah, so I interested. think it's pretty soon, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. All right, so I guess we're done for today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all right, so I guess we'll see you in two Hopefully, ne by next episode, we can talk about landmark and trigger fight cards, right? Yeah, hopefully, we have some announcements to talk about. Yeah, that too, right. <laughs> all right, so i see you in two weeks. Yep. All right. See, see you later. Bye-bye.